Hello and welcome to the IMB podcast brought to you by the Communications Office and Student Media Cell of IIM Bangalore. The new podcast series aims to become a platform to discuss the latest business, economic, management and social issues that matter. The podcast will witness IIM Bangalore fraternity including but not limited to the faculty members, students and alumni providing their insights and perspectives to the topics and issues that surround us. COVID-19 has hit the entire world and the economy badly. A lot of startups had a struggle with capital, carrying on with their existing businesses and ensuring continuity. A lot of fundamental assumptions about the economy also got shaken up because of the pandemic. Overnight things were shifted from people to people contact to a virtual work from home scenario. As we now better understand the virus and with hopes of a vaccine round the corner early next year, there are some tea leaves about the recovery. but few changes might be permanent in the post covid world whenever it comes in these challenging times we are back with yet another podcast on an important topic that perhaps concerns a lot of aspirational indians that is starting up in a virtual world and for this topic we have with us professor suresh bhagwatullah who is a professor in the entrepreneurship area at iim bangalore and is heavily involved with ns raghavan center for entrepreneurial learning also known as nsr cell at iim bangalore He holds a PhD in entrepreneurship and his research extensively focuses on entrepreneurial networks and social capital. So welcome professor to the IMB podcast series. It is a pleasure to host you for our episode. Thanks a lot, Yash. So sir, let me start by asking you a slightly off topic question from one of your tweets about the women's startup program in collaboration with Goldman Sachs at NSR Cell. you talked about the completion rate of 21% for moocs for women entrepreneurs in the program how did you achieve this staggeringly high figure and what are the implications for such a high number for our startup ecosystem uh, thanks a lot yash for asking me this question um, um most moocs have very low participation basically because we are sitting in front of a machine listening to videos and performing some tasks there is very little collaborative feeling there's never um, there is very little cohort feeling that comes about you're just in front of your machine and learning at a pace that you're comfortable with so we changed all of that so what we did was first we put in a lot of videos of entrepreneurs who are not the silicon valley kind of entrepreneurs or not even examples from silicon valley but these are local entrepreneurs somebody who were like them and who was started so the kind of gives them the confidence that yes they can do it then we had regular hours to solve tech issues so whenever you have a tech issue just go solve because we do feel people fall off uh the moocs because they don't know how to handle technology we need to understand that in india a lot of lot of people are experiencing internet through their mobile phones and not everybody is comfortable with technology so we had regular office hours to solve tech issues or any other issues that these participants may have in addition we had every week sessions with faculty or with women startup program entrepreneurs um previous cohort i mean where 
there is a sense of synchronous interactions across the cohort, right? And then there were telegram groups for peer interactions. So the objective of all these initiatives were to inform the women that they are not just sitting in front of the machine, but they are part of a larger cohort and then interacting with one another and experiencing the energy. So this year, unlike the past, we couldn't ask them to go do customer interviews outside because last year they did that as well. And there was even more excitement because as they were going and talking to customers, they were excitedly talking to one another, which led others to be excited about as well. So it is possible for us to create a higher collab, a higher, it is possible for us to create a higher completion rate. But one advantage we have is that we're creating prizes at the end, right? That if you do very well, you will come to NSRCell, you join this program, we will give you this money. And all of those things add up. So, so, um, so I think this was probably the reason why we had such high um, completion rate. We're seriously happy. So what are the implications for the ecosystem? That's a wonderful question. Look, I was reading yesterday that less than 2% of the VC money in the US actually went to women, all women founders. That's a pretty dismal statistic. And it goes up to about 13% if you have a male co-founder. So statistics for women and women entrepreneurship are really bad. They don't have mentors, they don't have programs, they don't have support systems. So women entrepreneurship is lagging everywhere. There's not a phenomenon in India, there's a phenomenon across the world. So if we create communities of people who are solving their own problems, because a lot of problems that women face are actually not being solved because men are not going to solve those problems. Women have to solve those problems. And platforms like these are creating entrepreneurs or solving problems that some of the women are facing. Will, some, will, the, will all of these guys be unicorns? I think that's not the point. The point is even if we can get each of these women entrepreneurs to have about five to 10 employees, look at the impact that we're doing across the nation, right? And that's the objective. We do have few of them who do very well, raise money, get to the next level. We have Kutuki who was part of our last WSP who did so well that she was mentioned by our uh, prime minister in one of his monkey bath. And that mention propelled her to have lot more uh, paying customers, right? And now they're talking to investors. So we are going to have good ventures coming out, but the objective is to have women start ventures and then solve their own problems, which I think is going to be a seriously positive um, implication for the startup ecosystem across the country. Thank you, sir. This is insightful and good to hear. So let us shift to our main discussion and to the meat of our episode, starting up in a virtual world. We refer to it as the virtual world because we keep hearing news of companies completely shifting virtual for an extended period of time. Starting up requires extreme collaboration, brainstorming, and very strong alignment of the team towards the building of first set of MVP or even testing out waters. How do you see this initial hyper collaboration getting hampered in the initial days of startup and how does this impact the venture? 
this is a reality that we have to face with right we haven't faced with a pandemic like this in over 100 years and in these 100 years we have significantly changed the way we live where we how we interact and what we do so we have come to realize that face to face interactions are very important and the ease with which we could travel around jump onto a plane go to delhi for a day and come back has only increased the possibilities of face to face interactions so in the past they we would rather jump onto a plane go to delhi for a 2 hour meeting rather than telling them that we would like to join via internet and mainly as you said it's not the meeting per se but the conversations that happen around during tea time or during other informal interactions which are very important because that's where you connect that's where you learn that's where you meet new people and all of these have a huge bearing on what you get to do how you get to do when you get to do and that has taken a complete back seat right now so what does it mean for hyper collaborative startups they will have to look for new ways of doing hyper collaboration so planned collaboration can still work out but what is going what has been uh, hard to replicate online is this serendipitous interactions that has gone out so so i don't know how to or i am not really sure about if there are any solutions to bring in similar um um uh serendipitous interactions but having said that let me just give you an example um where there could be some positive uh, spin on this in the past the fact that i could travel would mean that those who could not travel didn't have the same kind of advantage and the fact that i was located in certain regions of the world where where these kind of interactions happen more frequently i had an advantage bangalore silicon valley israel so i could be there and interact with people so geography to a extent has become irrelevant in this current uh, world so when i recently was on this academy of management conference um when i was this time it was online usually we go to any city and there are about 10000 scholars from across the world who come and be there so what usually happens is we meet a lot of people we meet i meet my old uh, doctoral uh, colleagues who are now professors or heading the departments or doing very interesting work who may have published a paper in a top tier journal so you end up interacting with a lot of them outside the sessions which means that there were virtually nobody in sessions so there would be sessions where there would be about one person in addition to the team to the four other papers who are being presented but this time around i have seen about 50 60 people attended presentation and there were lots of discussions on the chat 
which were also very interesting for the presenters. While I missed meeting all my friends and colleagues, co-authors in Vancouver this year, uh, but the sessions that I was part of saw a lot of inputs and uh, focused interactions happening, right? So serendipitous interactions are out, more focused interactions are happening. So therefore, we need to build on this and create some uh, advantage out of the fact that we can now take geography and create uh, some kind of collaboration via the net. But yes, that cohort feeling, that feeling of being together, the feeling of interaction, that has completely gone away. Yes, sir, I, we agree with you. In fact, uh, one of our next question is actually based on that. So one big component of starting up is to find the right team or the right set of co-founders. And many entrepreneurs and investors argue if you get that wrong, you're bound to fail. Most of such co-founders or right teams are formed in serendipitous encounters, as you said, over coffee at a college canteen or a nine to five office basement. Most of the initial hiring happens to that route. With COVID-19 moving things to a virtual mode for a foreseeable future, and the premise, this premise gets shaky. How do you think it will impact the process of starting up and finding right partners for the team? So we may have to come up with ways in which we need to do this online. Um, I think it is getting impacted. Maybe people are starting with those that they already know and those that they already have had some interactions in the past. So I see I see a need to invoke relationships from various uh, encounters that we have had and explore from those interactions if we could do a search for a co-founder there. I only am putting this only as a solution to the fact that chance encounters are not happening. Like Zuzubi, one of the companies at NSRCell, which got acquired uh, by Roundglass and the founders started another venture which got acquired again they all came together at a conference and uh, they came up and said, okay, if we, let's talk, sounds good, uh, let's come together. They started the venture, made a pitch at NSRCell and they were taken in. I asked them what would have happened if NSRCell had not been there. They said we would have just gone back to our old life. We would not have started at all. That, that was just a momentous happening. Uh, an ephemeral interaction which led to a very good uh, startup with very good positive impact both to the ecosystem uh, in terms of wealth creation, job creation and uh, 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 what I would say um, creating a group of people who now can start successful B2B ventures. 
how are those kind of things are going to happen maybe maybe as the government starts to relax we will have to use masks and social distance and see if we could create some smaller events not happening right now maybe in few weeks time maybe by end of this year we will have possibilities of doing things like this i guess we are going through opening up in couple of uh, various stages cinemas are going to happen uh, some restaurants are open so so keeping in mind with social distance and mask um, social distance and using a mask maybe we could come up with small interactions but having said that these are all inefficient solutions to the fact that we cannot have serendipitous encounters uh, which were very important thank you sir uh, reed hoffman says an entrepreneur is someone who will jump off a cliff and assemble an airplane on the way down with pandemic changing many things around us we believe there are a lot of new opportunities that are emerging for entrepreneurs is this a positive environment to start a venture and what are the some of the opportunities that you see around us so i like the israeli way of looking at entrepreneurship which is about solving problems and their focus is always on a problem on a problem that is very large and if we address that we can make lots of money and in india we have not been addressing india's problems if you look at the it sector ita sector we have been solving world's problems our saas companies are actually solving world's problems we have lots of problems in this nation and we need entrepreneurs to solve these problems because government does not have the wherewithal to solve these problems nor the large companies are interested because the size of the opportunity could be very small for them to get excited about when i say problem solving entrepreneurship i think it's also important to get away from the unicorn mindset kind of entrepreneurship so the unicorn kind of entrepreneurship where winner gets all and massive valuation that's a completely different ball game and that doesn't excite me what excites me is to create hundreds and hundreds of entrepreneurs who can solve problems that are locally uh, existing or take local opportunities and see what can be done we are in a wonderful situation right now because of the growth in information and communication technologies the ability to deliver our products so when covid came in there were lots of entrepreneurs who were able to reach out to customers directly so they were orchard owners who wanted who were able to get to uh, customers directly they were weavers who were able to get to customers directly they were people uh, volunteering to get food to 
parts of the society that are not able to uh, have food. So I see all of these as very positive outcomes in terms of that we do have the wherewithal to solve our own problems. And imagine the possibility that the orchard owner now sees an opportunity instead of going through intermediaries with a very nice story, he or she can reach customers directly. And I brought, I, I got so many mangoes during this uh, summer and all of them were directly from uh, orchard owners. I know a lot of uh, weavers and craftsmen who were able to sell directly to uh, consumers. That again opens up a huge opportunity in terms of livelihoods in rural areas that you don't need multiple intermediaries to get to customers. There is a person in uh, Maheshwari weaving a sari. He can send it to somebody in Mysore directly and the payment happens online. This kind of potential didn't exist in the past. And this opens up lots and lots of new opportunities, right? So what pandemic has done is pushed us, pushed us from a comfort zone and to relook at these problems differently. And I think we should leverage it and we should unleash our entrepreneurial spirits, especially of the young, especially of the rural folks, and then get them to start solving their own problems. When I say problems, like I don't even, all of them are not even problems um, uh, at a level that I'm talking of a problem, right? Some could be very small problems. Let's say, for instance, uh, I'm from Andhra and I would want my avakai, which gets made only during summer uh, because that's when raw mangoes are available. So I was talking to these women in a village saying that, look, if you can make very good pickle, market is all over you. You are not limited by technology because, sorry, you're not limited by geography. Earlier, you could only sell in your village, maybe to the places that you could walk around. Now, with your WhatsApp, with your phone, with the fact that some DTDC or courier is available in the neighborhood, she can just get orders up front and then send it to people, whoever would like to have it, right? So for me being in Bangalore, I don't get my authentic, very local, north coastal Andhra pickle. That's possible if people start to look at this as a possibility, right? So. So, 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 so I see a lot of positive things happening because of the pandemic, and uh, I do hope that those who went through this process, those who went through the experience of directly interacting with the customers, don't back to go back to the old system once the pandemic ends. Interesting insights, sir. In fact, this builds on up our of on our observations on entrepreneurial networks, which are area of your interest as well. Uh, let me push a little on networks and ecosystems. We saw them rise up to the challenge in times of COVID-19. 
for example pivoting business models to suit the need of the hour we saw uber ola collaborating with big basket midlife to deliver groceries medicines and utilize their idle capacities during the lockdowns how much do you see such crossing and connecting ecosystems such as the driver network of uber and ola with an inventory of a big basket of midlife becoming important in the covid defined world going forward interesting point that how do we start to look at ourselves right? are we going to be looking at ourselves as an individual entity that i am part of with definite organizational boundaries and definite organizational behavior where collaboration is not seen as something important beyond your organizational boundaries that so during pandemic those organizational boundaries collapsed and all of all of us started to look at ourselves as a large set of humanity wanting to reach out wanting to help one another and wanting to collaborate with one another to solve the problem how is it going to pan out into the future depends on how much importance do the owners and stakeholders and uh, equity owners give to this kind of collaborative models it's all all in terms of believing that collaboration is important and not competition perhaps perhaps the fact that we experienced collaborative existence may continue after covid and uh, as you rightly said idle capacity during lockdown was utilized very very well um so i do hope that firms and ventures continue to collaborate with each other and compete with each other as well so don't have to look at competing all the time that there are times when you have to collaborate and then you need to collaborate and there are times when you need to compete you compete it would be a very interesting world if we get to this level of existence interesting professor let me shift gears to the next stage about funding and investments in entrepreneurial ventures we have already seen before covid 19 that you know capital access became difficult with some mega funds bets going wrong what covid 19 striking the cash crunch must have deepened and the investors will become more cautious about funding the entrepreneurs in that scenario is it wise to take up an entrepreneurial venture and how do you see that panning out so so covid has made it very important for having business models which rely mostly on customers money the network effect model of the last man standing so bleed until you are the last person and then start to control the world around 
may not really be seen as the model going forward because lot of those who were attempting to create this network model had a huge hiccup thanks to this pandemic so so ventures which have developed the habits of um resourcefulness being frugal listening to customers making sure that they had um uh, profitable uh, unit economics right so the fundamentals of business have started to become far more important so that you can't bleed and try to build a business model around bleeding right so 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 i think in the future with cash being far more difficult with far with some of those hyper um, inflated valuations all of them well actually i don't think this hyper inflated valuations have gone away there are some stories which are still around uh, especially in edtech edtech and some of the tech based ventures which are enabling uh, online uh, collaboration and online education online interactions uh having said that this should certainly be seen as a knock on the head for people to be more careful in terms of identifying startups which have put more effort on their business models on saving uh on creating less expensive uh, solutions because at the end of the day right uh by taking a lot of this money entrepreneurs are letting go of their ventures they are starting something but somebody else owns most of it yes few of them have become very wealthy but some of them but some of the entrepreneurs that i have been speaking to are not very keen on giving away large portions of their ventures so we need to bring back this construct that we need to have profitable ventures debt is not bad and that bootstrapping could actually be the way to start right so that could be the way forward say that you know what i don't have to wait until somebody gives me a large check to start i would start with the resources that i currently have and then see how could how i could build a business model where i could work with the revenues that i'm getting from the customers interesting sir in fact we remember from your classes that you have been saying bootstrapping are uh, talking about bootstrapping and most startup dying of indigestion rather than for lack of funds uh we do believe that it will be back in fashion uh to bootstrap and build uh, startups uh coming to sir opportunities in the virtual world or in a post covid world or in a covid world 
will there be more women entrepreneurs because there will be a lot of work from home scenarios do you see penetration of entrepreneurial opportunities into the rural hinterlands in the tier 3 4 cities rather than just the urban metro pockets very good question because i was talking to an entrepreneur um based out of wisak so he and couple of his friends who are from the hills of the eastern ghats so they are um um started a small little venture using millets that are being grown on the tribal areas and they were making wonderful small idlis um traditional idlis in uh, leaves which again they got from their um, uh forest so when i saw him 2 years ago he had a push cart i was he, somebody connected me to him saying that please talk to him so he called me yesterday i was talking to him he said now he has two outlets uh in vizag somebody actually uh gave him a completely furnished uh outlet and said just pay me rent you just use it and just pay me rent um he has now moved into the id kind of bat model where he is making the idli batter made out of millets and putting it out in the supermarkets he is called wanting to know how to scale he saying he wants to scale via franchise model he knows that subway and kfc have franchise model and lots of people are reaching out to him saying that look can you give me a franchisee so he wanted to talk to me saying that how can he franchise how can he create this franchisee model because the people from uh, around vishakhapatnam like vijayanagaram shrikakulam vijayawada that little part of the country which is on the east coast they are getting excited over the fact that he has started something because his recipe for making batter seems to be very very good so his process of soaking or making uh seems to have created a very lovely lish for himself in that region right so it's become a brand now people know when i talk about vasanapoli so imagine that these were a pushcart vendor few years ago now he has two outlets he has um uh multiple revenue streams and now he is looking to scale using franchising model stories like these can get others interested as well um during my do your venture course for the women startup program i was talking to few women who were working and uh, all of them have small venture on the side at their home they sell sarees um some are selling pearls some were using uh, waste material and um silk thread to create jewelry so what i have noticed in the interactions with women entrepreneurs especially through this program is that they are doing lots of small things on the side to supplement their income 
And I think Misho seemed to have found this particular segment of population. They're trying to work with them and create a business model around the fact that they can create entrepreneurs around uh, 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 um, uh, women who are selling uh, textiles, saris on the side, and they're trying to connect them and create a, a community around them. So yes, women are doing a lot of these activities on the side. Yes, there is potential to work with them collectively to create models where it they could come together as a whole. Like for instance, somebody who's selling uh, uh, pickles could come together um, and offer things together, like what Native Chef does in Nagpur. Again, a wonderful idea where she has a platform where good cooks come on to and then offer their um, food. So you can order lunch or dinner um, few hours before. If you want lunch, you order at 10. If you want dinner, you order at 5 or something like that. And you could order multiple varieties. You could order Sindhi, you could order South Indian, you could order Saudi, you could order um, Parsi. And these are all women who are inside their homes doing very little. But then they're part of this community which is connecting to customers like Misho, like so, so, so ventures like Misho, like Native uh, uh, Native Chef, th those are all can come up in the future where these tiny little people working individually can be part of something larger. Interesting, sir. Uh, Professor, you have mentored a lot of startups and our podcast audience is primarily young individuals, including many of the business school students and aspirants. What are some of the most successful traits you find in an entrepreneur or someone with an entrepreneurial bent of mind? To add to this questions, do you think these qualities can be cultivated or learned or they are just inborn in the person? Very good question, Yes. The trade-based model of entrepreneurship is not popular anymore. It used to be popular in the 60s, where they felt people had this need for achievement, uh, motivation, passion. So they were all traits that experts thought entrepreneurs have. But then when they looked closely, they found that people who did not have these traits became entrepreneurs. And they also found that people who had these traits were not entrepreneurs. So the trait-based model has never been successful in explaining who becomes an entrepreneur. So therefore, we now believe that entrepreneurship is teachable. And more importantly, entrepreneurship is learnable. So what is the most important issue that needs to be addressed? Is the decision to be an entrepreneur. If you decide to be an entrepreneur, you can be an entrepreneur. So what are the traits that I think are important? Perseverance. 
right? That is easily cultivated. Curiosity, that can easily be cultivated. You look around, see how people are curious, how do you ask questions, how do you learn? And then certain amount of what I would say, dreamy nature that you can't be too realistic because in real life, a lot of things can go wrong, right? But most entrepreneurs that I know believe that something is going to work out. Right? I have no idea right now, but something may come the way, come on the way. So, so that's the corridor way of looking at it. Just enter one corridor, start talking to people, start interacting with people, talk to your, listen to your customers, listen to what they are saying. So to an extent, I use this example of Minesweeper a lot. That entrepreneurship is like playing a Minesweeper. Playing, like playing a Minesweeper game. So you just start anywhere, but then you just learn from each step what your next step should be. Before I go on, do you know what Minesweeper is? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. So if you look at Minesweeper, you really can't plan out what you're going to do. You just start somewhere, few, few squares open up, and then from there you plan your next set of moves. Right. So doing small sets of activities, taking feedback, being curious, and being perseverant, I think, are the qualities that a good entrepreneur has. And that I think all of us have. It's just we just need to decide that we're going to be an entrepreneur. I just have one additional thought around this. When we learn cycling, we consider falling is okay. That you fall, it's okay, because that's how you learn how to cycle. So we need to understand that failure of a venture is not failure of an entrepreneur. The two different aspects. So we should not be taking the failure of the venture and putting it on the failure as an entrepreneur. So failure is an important part. But in, if the only way in which you're going to learn cycling is by getting up, and cycling again, right? And that's all that you need to do. When I say perseverance, perseverance of not just one venture, if things don't go on, you just stop and start again. I've seen this in Israel. I was talking to some of these young people at um, uh, Tel Aviv University. So they're saying that, look, we have been working on it for three, four months. There is not much of traction. Folks, let's just stop this. And then we're going to go our own way. So they've given, them, given themselves some time to see what happens. And if it doesn't happen, they're starting again with somebody else with another problem, right? So, so how we look at failure, how do we learn from failure, I think are very important, which is slightly more cultural aspect, not just an individual, individ, individual entrepreneurial, individual uh, um, uh, aspect. So we are changing slowly. We are not yet there like Silicon Valley or Israel. But 
we need to appreciate anybody who starts and they need to celebrate failure as Eximius this time is doing, right? They're bringing in entrepreneurs who failed and letting them talk to the world and we need to appreciate that. So that's a cultural aspect that we need to uh, bring about. That's a change that we need to bring about, but otherwise everything else is learnable for being an entrepreneur. Failure of a venture is not a failure of an entrepreneur. That is very well put, sir. In fact, I fondly remember Vinod Khosla giving a talk on a failure, failures of startup in a conference, I think in the Bay Area. So, sir, referring to your mentoring of startups, what are some of the mistakes that entrepreneurs commonly make? If you could highlight some of the mistakes they made in the COVID world, what could our audience learn from these mistakes and avoid making them? Yes. If I connect this back to my previous answer, we cannot not make mistakes, right? So the only way in which we learn not to make mistakes is by talking to others, by interacting with others, by learning from others. So when you find something, I think you need to tell everybody that this is what you found. So in a pre-COVID world at NSR cell, there were always people talking to one another during tea time. Um, so that's one ritual that we started. So get Prabhakar, Prabhakar, you know Prabhakar, right? So bring coffee into cell and open it up for about half an hour, 40 minutes, so people come in. It's kind of a quasi uh, water cooler conversation that you come pick up your tea or coffee and then talk to others. And in these interactions that you learn from one another in terms of what they found out, how did they get that extra credits from Google, or how should they not use those extra credits on Google, or what should you go to Facebook for, right? So it's not about mistakes. It's more in terms of learning from one another and to tell each other saying that, look, I need somebody to code this particular part of my software. And then another startup says, you know what? I have this intern. She's just finishing her term here. I'll just ask her if she's free and she could help you out with this particular uh, solution. So those kind of interaction and uh, learnings are not happening. So I think during COVID people may be making more mistakes because they're not learning from one another. And some of the simple mistakes that I think entrepreneurs usually make is staying too much on the solution not interacting with customers and believing that customers don't know what they want. A lot of customers have a fairly good idea of what they want. So interacting with them is very important. So building a complete solution and going to the market, I think is not is a very bad strategy, especially if you don't have too many resources that you control. So if you have lots of resource at your control that your grandfather has given you a large sack of money, 
you need to be very careful in terms of how you utilize resources. So therefore, being frugal and not being too extravagant, I think is uh, what I think is some of the mistakes that entrepreneurs do because they think that this is how you need to do it, right? Uh, have pizza parties or go out and um, go to a pub to celebrate um, or jump into a plane and meet your customer um, wherever that customer is. Not being frugal, I think, is a very big mistake that entrepreneurs make. Not being clever about solving a problem is some of the mistakes that they make. Not looking for spare resources that they can get from elsewhere is some of the mistakes that they make, right? So it's more a mindset problem than actually doing a mistake because mistake is very, very good because it will tell you what not to do. And if you can tell others that this is the mistake that you made, others will also not make that mistake and learn from it, right? So, so let's not worry too much about what mistake they shouldn't make. What we need to do is that we need to tell each other the mistakes that we are making. Yes, sir. Uh, to conclude, Professor, we would like to hear from you one of your own stories of either starting up or your mentored startup of things they did right and things they did terribly wrong and what made them survive both the successes and failures as both are turning points in a startup journey. Yeah, good question, Yash. I guess the starting stories are usually very interesting because most people think starting is an outcome of deep thought, having done analysis, having getting excited over an idea. I have noticed this thing called accidental entrepreneurship, like people setting up a venture, not planning to do anything. They just start a venture. Um, just Books was one such story. If you look at the Just Books story, it's all about the founder just wanted to set up a franchisee of Crossword. They said no. Uh, he decided to go up and set up a much more tech intensive um, uh, library, which had RFID. Very advanced. And I think similarly, Amagi had a wonderful story where um, on a whim, they decided, oh, let's make a product company like Sony based out of India. Why do we not have products? And then they just started thinking up of ideas, brainstorming, writing PPTs, and sending it across to companies, B2B. Uh, no different from how Zuzubi also did it, right? They just wrote PPTs and sent it to uh, companies. So I guess starting is always a little bit um, uh, serendipitous. Like this, my journey started when this close friend of mine and I, we were eating uh, a veg thali under a tamarind tree in Hyderabad. So the restaurant is also called Tamarind Tree. This is their, those days, Andhra tourism uh, near Sikandarabad. They had a restaurant and we were just sitting nicely December. Hyderabad is very nice in December, sitting out, eating a meal. And Robert Jan, this friend of mine, who's a Dutch uh, person who did his PhD work in India between Vijayawada and Vizag, 
so we would having nice conversation waiting for our thali and then the thali comes in nice and hot uh, we were eating and he said like oh man maybe we could do a tour of vegetarian food of south india so by the time the meal ended we were getting so excited about our own idea because the food was good but the environment was also nice pleasant and uh, we wrote it down on a piece of napkin saying that what are the places uh, we think we should be looking at and what should we be doing in this and then two weeks later we were off researching on which places to go to which places to eat and all and next year we offered the the trip and we had about 15 people up so this was the early days of experiential tourism like to 2003 i think it was um if we had continued if we were serious about it we did two multiple tours but this was the start of the food tour um if i had not joined iimb maybe i would have continued that journey and i think today whenever i tell people how it started and what we did they continue to ask me i think you should do this anyway because there'll be people wanting to why did you shut it down why did you not why did you not have somebody else run this particular initiator so for me i think the startup stories are always very wonderful zuzubi and his partner met at a conference started talking and then came together but the not so nice part is as the venture starts to progress you will not see the same kind of excitement that you actually saw initially right just books i think the sad story is that they've never been able to raise any money because most investors did not fully believe that books had a future and those days everybody thought books as we know it are going to go out and everyone is going to or most of the people would start to read on devices although just book did buy some devices and rent them out it didn't work out but to date i think the books as we know continue to survive if you look at the data up until the covid 18 year olds 19 year olds in colleges in the us have started using books much much more than what they used to do maybe thanks to covid the device usage may be going up but having said that was the part right that was the part where people don't believe investors don't believe and then things didn't go as well just books as it should have given the given the start it had right and i've seen multiple ventures like those where things don't work out because we had red force labs who was far too early in terms of security for finances much before it was popular we're talking about fintech now he was talking about fintech then unfortunately he had a bad run in with some of the banks and he had to go into hiding uh similarly we had another one which had to do a uh ott kind of netflix kind of model for um, movies especially first day first shows kind of movies uh for uh, international audience that again spent far much far too much time developing the product falling in love with the product instead of going and talking to producers or um uh and people in the film fraternity 
who would have uh, who would have been part of it again i think entertainment industry is one of the least to get into technology but if i look back and see some of these ideas were so 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 ahead of the time that i feel sad that when entrepreneurs go back with failure in their heart and then they are trying to do something else have not come up come back to entrepreneurship there are some when they have failure they come back to entrepreneurship but then some were so exhausted who just never get back to entrepreneurship and that i think is something not very right about our ecosystem that we are not motivating people to say that you know what doesn't matter if it's a failure guys let's just start again but then you need to have resources to start again and there are not many resources available in our ecosystem for uh, everybody who had a failure to come back right so um which is why i think it's very important to conserve resources and keep figuring out where the customers are agreeing to what you think you are doing and um uh, running out of resources running out of all your resources i think is a very bad strategy and i've seen that time and again that they do it very badly especially if you put all your eggs in one basket and then it ends up being a failure it does very bad to the confidence and the soul of the entrepreneur and that is something which i don't uh, like or i wish that our ecosystem had little more spare resources for experiments to be done so that we come up with some innovative solutions i don't know if that answered your uh, question yash thanks a lot professor for your time those were some really wonderful insights and i'm sure our audience is going to enjoy it thanks a lot thanks yash so that's it from the imb podcast today we hope you enjoyed listening to it do send in your comments feedbacks and suggestions and we will be happy to read them have a great day